Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Greetings, friends, family, countrymen, and women. Do you say countrywomen? No, I guess it would just cover everybody. Countrymen, great to have you with us today for another episode of The Friddle Show. We are talking about the Supreme Court. More specifically, the seat that has been left vacant by the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg has been lying in state this week at the Capitol, the first uh, woman ever to do so. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, the first Jewish person ever to do so, as uh, we remember her life and legacy as a nation. And obviously, this has just helped fuel the fire, if you will, both figuratively and literally, in what has been happening in our country over the last several months. Things are just even more heated than they have been, more divided than they have been, as everybody seeks to push their angle on what should be done with regards to filling this seat. I mean, there have been some people, if you are spending any sort of time on social media, you've probably seen videos of individuals who are very left-leaning, who are absolutely literally freaking out at the passing of uh, RBG, as she is known. Um, and, and then you have others who seem to be gleeful at her passing. It, it's sad. It's sad. It is saddening to me that this is the state that we have reached as a country where a person's uh, death is either a cause for political celebration or cause for political wailing quite <laughs> literally like people literally going crazy and and that's not to say that each life is not valuable and that we don't grieve and that we don't recognize the contributions that people have given to our society but at the same time like people are just going bonkers over this and it does it does beg the question of have we put too much emphasis on the supreme court i would argue yes and we will get to that in just a few minutes but uh, i'm going to try and get through this in a not very long podcast today. I don't know why my brain is, is speaking in sentences the way that it is, because that was a horrible sentence. But, you know, we're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna power on through. <clears throat> so, as we look at this issue of the Supreme Court seat, and this, uh, this is the only thing we're going to talk about today, like I said, I'm going to try and keep it relatively short so that you know what is happening. Um, we have one side, like I said, that is viewing this opportunity, if you will, to fill this Supreme Court seat prior to the election, uh, saying that that would be a successful thing if it were accomplished. The other side is saying that it would be an absolute scandal if her seat were to be filled prior to the election. So the question is, which is it? Because both sides uh, are, are, are having all their facts and fact-checking each other back and forth. And uh, it's, it's either a scandal or success. There's no middle ground, or maybe it's neither. So I'm going to give you my take on this. I believe that it is, well, I, I researched it rather extensively. 
this week, and this is what I have arrived at as my personal conclusion as to whether or not the seat should be filled based on historic precedent and how we have arrived at this point in the Senate. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. I'm going to try and break this down for you. The most compelling argument in my mind as to why the seat should be filled prior to the election is that this election could very well be contested. I remember four years ago talking about the possibility of electoral college votes being evenly split down the middle, and it was like, it's a, it's a long shot, but it could happen. This year, it, <laughs> it looks much less like a long shot and very much like a possibility, unless one or the other has a resounding victory, whether that be Biden or Trump, which, by the way, I think is our best bet as a nation. One or the other needs to win in an overwhelming fashion. I think that would do much uh, for the political state of our country. Um, but I don't think that is likely. I think that it is likely that we will see a contested election, even if there is an overwhelming victory. We may still see a contested election because of all of the mail-in ballots that will be happening, and a contested election will go to the Supreme Court. If we have a divided court, if there are only eight justices and we end up with a split opinion of 4-4, well, split opinion on a contested election could then relegate uh, the actual decision of the election to the states to decide. And when we reach that point, there, I think that you could argue there's a potential then for civil war because what California would like to see happen as regarding our president may not be the same thing as what Iowa and Idaho and, uh, and, and West Virginia and so on uh, think should be happening with the presidency. So while it does take the argument all the way down the line to the extreme possibility, although I don't think it's as extreme as some people think, I believe it is plausible to make an argument that filling Ginsburg's seat prior to the election could essentially keep us from civil war. But on the other hand, if the election does go to the court and there is a Trump nominee that has recently been appointed to the court and that nominee ends up being the, the vote that, gives, uh, the, the, that, that sways the decision in Trump's favor and places him in the presidency, we may have civil war anyway. So you could argue that placing the nominee could eventually lead to civil war if taken to the extreme on the opposite end. But I, I think that is less likely. I do believe that there is a good possibility that this could go to court. And that for that reason, I think we should have a, a, a nine-justice uh, court so that we would not have a potentially split opinion. Because it's just, it's just go crazy. And, and if you look at what's happening in our world today, it's, just, it's crazy. But, you know, then sometimes I take a step back. I look at average families that just want to live their lives or are just living their lives. And I think, man, stuff just isn't as bad out there as we're being led to believe. People aren't as heartless out there as we're being led to believe. But then I open social media again and realize that I must be wrong. Right? I mean, okay. Sheepers. Creepers. Anyway, RBG seat. To fill it or not to fill it? Democrats say that the GOP is trying to fill the seat now because... Uh, they are trying to stack the courts, and that that is hypocritical because of what happened with Merrick Garland at the end of Obama's term. Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell's claim, uh, claimed in uh, in no, whatever year it was, 2016, they claimed the Biden rule. What was the Biden rule? Okay, when Republicans wouldn't confirm Garland, they claimed the Biden rule. Joe Biden had said in a 1992 Senate floor speech, when there was no high court vacancies to fill at that time, that, quote, once the political season is underway, and it is, action on a Supreme Court nomination must be put off until after the election campaign is over. So, Democrats are pointing at this and saying, hey, uh, remember, remember this? 
Remember when you guys were like, once the election season is underway, we're not going to appoint anybody? And there's video of Mitch McConnell talking about this sort of thing. And uh, But this is this was what they were basing their logic on, was on what they called the Biden rule. In 2016, as there we were looking at Merrick Garland, Biden reversed course and said, quote, I would go forward with a confirmation prog- uh, process as chairman, even a few months before a presidential election, if the nominee were chosen with the advice and not merely the consent of the Senate, just as the Constitution requires. So, yes, Republicans did uh, oppose the appointing of Merrick Garland. Obviously, he did not get appointed uh, in, in Obama's final year. And they used a the Joe Biden rule. Did I say Biden's final year? Obama's final year. Uh, they used the Biden rule as their basis for that. Biden, in 2016, said we should appoint a Supreme Court justice a few months before the, uh, before the election. As long as they're, the Senate uh, gives the consent, not just the uh, advice. I'm not, I'm not sure what that part means. But he would, he would do it. So, which is it? When Republicans are saying Democrats are hypocritical about this and Democrats are saying Republicans are hypocritical about this, I mean, I think you could make the argument of both. And, and I could get into to more on this, and, and there is a difference between what was happening then, because you saw a divided uh, uh, Senate and presidency. So a lot of Republicans are saying, well, no, it was always about if the same party is in the White House as is in the Senate, then the will of the people uh, from that previous election would be to put forward a nominee together. Whereas in 2016, we saw a split there, and Republicans had the Senate and Democrats held the White House. So that would be not be a united front. But honestly, when you take all the, the, the baggage away, if you will, what it boils down to is the Biden rule of 1992 versus Biden in 2016. And, you know, coincidentally, he happens to be the Democratic presidential nominee this time around. So it's very simple to explain this whole thing, okay? Before everybody starts pointing fingers and fact-checking themselves... Um, <laughs> The fact of the matter is, if you really want a fact, last time Democrats said A and Republicans said B. And now, can you believe it? Republicans say A and Democrats say B. It's like we do actually agree on things. It just depends on who is in office as to whether or not we agree with ourselves. I mean, who would have thunk that the party in power would want to put in their nominee and would oppose the other party's nominee? It's almost like what Obama said back in the day, you know, that elections have consequences. I think that was, I think that was his thing. Right? Elections have consequences. But let's take it a step further. And I, I, I was doing research on this, and I was so excited to talk about it. And then the president brought it up in his speech in Florida the other day. And I was like, man, you just stole my thunder from my podcast. Who told you this? <laughs> and then I realized that I needed to just calm down and everything was okay because he didn't really talk about it that much. So I'm going to explain to you why we're even at this point, Okay. It's because of the filibuster issue. It's because of the nuclear option. And if you've heard people tossing that around or you heard the president mention it recently in any of his speeches that we can thank Harry Reid for this, thank the nuclear option. And you're like, uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. Like, I, it sounds familiar. I remember hearing about that uh, a while back, but I, uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to explain that. So here's what happened. Democrats uh, put in place... In 2013, under Harry Reid's leadership, Senate Democrats put in place what what is commonly known as the nuclear option. If this had not happened, by the way, Democrats could have stopped a Trump nominee in 2020. 
there would be no way that Republicans could put through a nominee prior to the election. And by the way, it would have allowed them to put Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court as well. But uh, so here's here's the deal about the nuclear option. Paul Kane reported for the Washington Post on November 21st, 2013. So seven years ago, this is what happened. Okay, according to uh, Mr. Kane at the Post, Senate Democrats took the dramatic step of eliminating filibusters for most nominations by presidents, a power play they said was necessary to fix a broken system, but one that Republicans say will only rupture it further. Democrats used a rare parliamentary move to change the rules so that federal judicial nominees and executive office appointments can advance to confirmation votes by a simple majority of senators rather than the 60-vote supermajority that has been the standard for nearly four decades. The immediate rationale for the move was to allow the confirmation of three picks by President Obama to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. The most recent examples of what Democrats have long considered unreasonably partisan obstruction by Republicans. In the long term, the rule change represents a substantial power shift in a chamber that for more than two centuries has prided itself on affording more rights to the minority party than any other legislative body in the world. Now, a president whose party holds the majority in the Senate is virtually assured of having his nominees approved with far less opportunity for political obstruction. Harry Reid said the the chamber must evolve beyond parliamentary roadblocks. He said the American people believe the Senate is broken, and I believe the American people are right. It's time to get the Senate working again. The vote was the culmination of more than 25 years of feuding over nominations, beginning with President Ronald Reagan's choices for the Supreme Court and including Obama's picks for obscure federal regulatory agencies. Each side in Thursday's debate cited its own statistics to state its case. After the vote, Obama told reporters at the White House that Republicans had turned nomination fights into a reckless and relentless tool to grind the gears of government to a halt and noted that neither party has been blameless for these tactics. However, he said, quote, today's pattern of obstruction just isn't normal. It's not what our founders envisioned, end quote. Republicans countered that they had confirmed 99% of Obama's judicial selections. McConnell accused Democrats of eyeing the D.C. Circuit in an effort to stack the court, which reviews many cases related to federal laws and regulations to tilt its balance in a liberal direction. After the passage of the vote, Mitch McConnell said to Democrats in 2013, as they went to a simple majority, you will regret this, and you may regret this a lot sooner than you think. So, let me summarize that for okay that is what it that was what was reported in November of 2013 prior to 2013 when president obama was trying to stack the uh, dc circuit court which again they're the ones that review uh, much related to federal law and regulation that goes through dc that ends up in the court Prior to 2013, when it came to federal judicial nominees, when it came to high-level executive office appointments, when the Senate would vote on these appointments, it required a supermajority. You had to have 60 votes. That meant that you had to find a candidate that was someone who people on the other side of the aisle, most likely, you had to find at least a few people on the other side of the aisle to vote with your party in order to confirm that person. That has enabled there to be or did enable there to be more moderates, if you will, appointed, more people that were middle of the road, more people that both sides could agree on. Democrats, in an effort to push through Obama's uh, uh, nominees, decided to do away with the supermajority and intend go to a, instead go to a simple majority when it comes to most nominations. Now, that includes Supreme Court nominations. You no longer need a 60-vote supermajority in the Senate to appoint someone to the Supreme Court, you only need a simple majority. 
So whether you think that politically Democrats are being hypocritical or you think that Republicans are being hypocritical, whether you think a new justice would be a success uh, or if you think that putting in a new justice right now would be a scandal, remember, remember that if a Trump nominee is confirmed here prior to the election, that is Harry Reid's justice. You can thank Harry Reid, because if not for his work in 2013, we would not even be having this discussion because Republicans would not have a supermajority vote, not even close to it. They would not get it, and everyone would know it, and you would see a Merrick Garland situation happen again. The reason Merrick Garland was not confirmed was because Democrats did not even have, they, they couldn't even get a simple majority on the guy. If they had, he would have gone through. Okay? And the reason that Trump may get another nominee on the Supreme Court now is because Democrats, again, don't have a simple majority or his nominee could not go through. So at the end of the day, this is not about Donald Trump. This is about the Senate, under Harry Reid, what they put through. And as then-President Obama said, today's pattern of obstruction isn't normal. It's not what our founders envisioned. And if that is indeed the case, then Trump should have his nominee, which would technically be a success under the rules outlined by Harry Reid and a scandal to 2013 Republicans. But today, the rules are different because Democrats changed them. So their success has become their scandal. Now, Aside from all that procedural stuff, we should be concerned, and I've talked about this previously mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if this is the reaction, when it, our national reaction, when it comes time to fill a seat on the Supreme Court, then the high court has become way too powerful in our country, and that should be very concerning uh, to us all. According to the National Center for Constitutional Studies, Thomas Jefferson said, The great object of my fear is the federal judiciary. That body, like gravity, ever acting with noiseless foot and unalarming advance, gaining ground step by step and holding what it gains, is insidiously engulfing the state governments and the jaws of the federal government which feeds them. Our government is now taking so steady a course as to show by what road it will pass to destruction, to wit, by consolidation first and then corruption. The engine of consolidation will be the federal judiciary, the two other branches the corrupting and corrupted instruments. In other words... Jefferson was afraid that power would be amassed in our courts and specifically in our federal courts, which would eventually cause the corruption and downfall of our nation. Wow. That's powerful stuff right there. But I, I don't want to leave the podcast as that. I, I don't want to stop on that note. I, I think that is, that is the data, that is the information, that is the history that I believe you can now think through this process. If you, if you didn't know that already or you weren't sure what the nuclear option was or, or why we even were at this point, that is how we got to where we are today. But I want to shift gears here as we end because I, I want to end on a positive note. And quite frankly, uh, I don't think that most Americans on opposing sides of the aisle are going to agree on whether or not this feat should be filled, regardless of the history, well, that it should be filled right now, uh, regardless of the history that has brought us to this point or the context of the statements that were made by both sides in the past and how they have bearing in the present. But I have seen a lot of things said about Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the last few weeks. Many are hailing her as a hero. Others decry her as a villain, generally for the same reason, interestingly, her views on women's rights and more specifically abortion. But no one can deny that RBG was a hero to many girls and women, that she was a trailblazer in her field as a only the second woman ever appointed to the court after uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. And no one can deny that she was a staunch supporter of abortion and stood contrary to many, if not most, of the beliefs and opinions held by evangelicals today. 
but I don't want to speak about her positions right now. How I want to end today is with this. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia were friends. Close friends. Personal friends. Politically, they could not have been more different. In most of the big cases that we would recognize or, or quite frankly care about, because the Supreme Court hears hundreds and most of them you don't even have any idea, but they were on opposite sides. More often than not, they came down on very opposite sides of issues that were presented to the court that, that we would know about, that, we would, uh, that, that would make national news, if you will. But they found common ground in their humanity, in the things they, they, th there were things that they had in common, they found their commonality, and they became friends over those things, in their mutual enjoyment of the opera, of their, of their favorite foods and restaurants, of their love for, for cooking, their shared love for travel and for the study of the law. After Scalia died, Ginsburg said, from our years together at the D.C. Circuit, <coughs> excuse me, we were best buddies. When she was uh, at, at his memorial service in 2016, she told a story about writing the high court majority opinion that struck down the Virginia Military Institute's ban on, admitted win uh, ban on admitting women, and Scalia showed her his unfinished dissent as she was writing her majority opinion. Uh, and she said, it was a zinger filled with disdainful footnotes, but I was glad to have the extra days to adjust the court's opinion. My final draft was much improved, thanks to Justice Scalia's searing criticism. Of their friendship, she quoted Scalia and said, I attack ideas, I don't attack people. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. Or in her memoir, My Own Words, she summed it up by saying how blessed I was to have a working colleague and dear friend of such captivating brilliance, high spirits, and quick wit. And there have been many articles written over the last few weeks regarding the friendship of Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg. And I would encourage you to take a step back from the argument of whether or not we should fill the seat now or whether we should wait and fill it later. Because everybody's talking about that. All right? And you, you probably already have a fairly formulated opinion on that issue. So take a step back from that for a minute. And I encourage you to go read some articles about the friendship of Justices Scalia and Ginsburg. Because what our country needs right now is less raging on social media and more friendships. More real friends. More people like Scalia and Ginsburg that though they disagreed bitterly on political issues, not only used their disagreements to better themselves, but even were able to remain friends. And not just friends, but good friends and close friends. Be a friend to someone this week. And that's it. I told you I was going to keep it short. wanted you to be able to get a, 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 a bite-sized summary so that you understand where we're at, where we're going, why things are the way they are right now with the Supreme Court battle. Hopefully that has been a help to you. If you have thoughts, concerns, questions, agrees, agrees, ideas, if you agree or disagree with my analysis today, let me know. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at The Friddle. And uh, usually I, I try to be active there a couple times a week to respond. Um, I'm not as active on social media as I once was, but I try to at least uh, engage with people that engage me on those platforms. So go ahead and let me know. If you have future topics you'd like me to talk about or you're like, hey, I really don't get this. Could you explain this? Let me know. I'd be more than happy to take a crack at whatever ideas or topics that you uh, have questions or concerns about. Follow me 
on Twitter and Facebook. But also, be sure to like and subscribe the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud. Share it with your friends. And we will see you next week. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, everyone.